Yeah, it's great to be over here at Bexhill. We, uh, we have a long history of involvement in Bexhill, which I won't go into now. It's, it's a bit checkered. It's not good and bad. <laughs> and I think this feels like a good time. I'm I, just looking at the crowd of you and, and uh, hearing a bit because we were very well looked after. We stay overnight with um, Sarah and Rob Williams and... Um, it was good to talk and catch up, <clears throat> and uh, it just sounds really exciting, honestly, what's going on here. And now just come from Hastings, where uh, we've also met many friends, so my brain is just adjusting. I'm, I'm, I'm reasonably old, <laughs> so I'm a bit slow in taking uh, in, in all the details, but uh, I was struggling to remember names. Uh, what I find is that I remember lots of details about people. So beware. But then you can't really go up to people and say, oh, yeah, I remember you. You did this. You had this. You did. No, no. What's their name? So I'm like internally screaming at my brain, bring the name up. Bring the name. But I do get there in the end. Sometimes a bit after I've seen you and I have a real temptation of going up and tapping on your shoulder and saying, Andrew. <laughs> like you go, yeah. Yeah. I just want you to know I now remember your name. Um, but I do get uh, I do enjoy meeting people and catching up and get a kick out of it. It's great. So, mustn't waffle too much because we've got to give time to the Word of God. And we're looking today at the subject of forgiveness. I'm so glad that Paul asked me to speak on that in your Restored series because I think it's vitally important. It's, um, it's fundamental uh, truth that we're going to be looking at, major stuff. Um, but it's actually very relevant, very important to our individual lives. It's, it, it's something that's relevant to all of us, whether you're uh, a, a Christian, well, long-standing, newish Christian, or not yet put your faith in Jesus, just wondering and thinking. There's something, not just a something for everyone, it's the main subject is relevant to all of us. Although the way you'll apply it, I hope, will slightly vary in the sense that I hope by this end of this morning, if you haven't really embraced the gospel and known that Jesus is your Lord and Savior and can forgive you and everything can be washed clean, that that will have happened for you. But uh, for those of us who are Christians, this is a relevant subject. And we're going to see that in a minute when we read the passage of Scripture, we'll see the context, which is always good to notice when you look at Scripture. The context is Jesus speaking to his disciples, to Peter and his disciples. I think uh, unforgiveness, let's put it that way, is a hugely damaging thing. It damages individuals, and we'll probably learn a bit more about that as we go through, but it, it also damages communities. So if you get unforgiveness in a church, it can cause real bitterness and division. It can be a church killer. You get unforgiveness in larger communities, it's seriously dangerous in terms of divisive and and, and uh, even um, can cause um, violence, I suppose, in extreme. And I think this subject, if I just sort of work my way into it, I think this is quite an important subject today because I think we in the modern West, and let's be specific, probably in our country, the United Kingdom, 21st century, we have lost some understanding of forgiveness the most wholesome understanding of forgiveness comes through what we're going to be looking at this morning, the Bible, the New Testament, and a proper understanding of what God's done for us. Now, 
let me pause and say, I do not think that England was a wonderful country where everything was wonderful years ago and it's all awful now. I'm, I'm not naive. I enjoy history. Actually, the degree I did was English and history. I love history and I'm very realistic about it. But what I want to say is I think we, we did have what we would call a Judeo-Christian worldview. We, the people were taught Christian stuff in Sunday schools and children and school assemblies and People went to church and all that. And a sort of washover from that was probably people understood forgiveness. It was something that was recognized. I feel it's sort of marginalized, almost misunderstood and avoided today. So let me give you a very obvious and actually very current example without going into details. But I think you'll all get what I'm talking about. There's a modern thing called cancel culture. If you don't know what it is, you basically, in simple terms, when someone, particularly someone prominent, although it can happen to ordinary people at work, when someone said something or tweeted something or wrote something a while ago that was inappropriate, might not have been good, maybe 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago, if it's found and highlighted, certain things, certainly, the whole, everything drops on them. You know, they can lose their job, they lose their reputation, lose everything. It's sort of kicking off at the moment in, in certain circles. And even if the person apologizes or set, explains, there is no way back often. They're cancelled. Now, you could weave that in to other weird, I think they're slightly weird, attitudes which are that everybody's a victim sort of thing and everybody shifts blame. So on the other side of the coin, nobody wants to be responsible and, and, uh, for what they've done. And you get a horribly mixed up moral atmosphere and some of the fundamentals of what the Bible teaches would bring great clarity. That's what I've got to say. About owning responsibility for what you do wrong, about seeking forgiveness and receiving forgiveness. These things are healthy. They're not like, oh, that's old Christian stuff. Oh, we were oppressed. No. Much of what's happening today is pretty oppressive. There seems to be no way out. You know, if, you, if you're cancelled, you're cancelled. So that's just an illustration of why this is an important subject. And we're going to look at something Jesus said, and I trust that will shed a massively uh, releasing light, beam of truth into our lives and into the truths of this subject. So I want to read to you uh, from Matthew 18, and we're going to read from verse 21 uh, on to the end of the chapter, end of the parable. It's the end of the chapter, I think. Yes, it is. Okay, Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Now, this is the NIV, and in the margin it says 70 times seven, and I think probably that's more authentic, although I have to be careful. I'm sure Andy knows. But, but quite a lot of other translations do have the 70 times seven, which I think is 490. Those of you who are good at maths will know. So I think that's more than 70. So I think there's a sense in which it's a deliberate hyperbole and overstatement. Jesus may have even said it with a slight smile on his face. But what he's saying, in effect, is don't count. No limit. You, you live forgiving. You live with an attitude of constantly being open to forgiving. You live in the reality of forgiving others, just to say that. But anyway, picking up Peter's terms and slightly playing with him, he says, no, 70 times 7, which is 490. 
Therefore, and then he goes into the parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. Pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have, have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother and sister from your heart. Now, it's a punchy parable, but all parables are punchy. They're meant to be. And they are a bit cartoon-like. They're like verbal cartoons. They exaggerate. They're in bright colors. They're very in-your-face making the point. You're not really meant to try and overanalyze each detail and say what it means. I mean, we all do it a bit. I do it a bit. But really, it makes two or three heavy points vividly, and, and it does here with this subject. But they're all profound, and we need to dig into it. Now, the first thing I want to say, as I hinted, I think, at the beginning, is this is not something just for the gospel. This is for Christians. In fact, the context... The context is talking to the disciples. It's Peter who starts this conversation with his uh, Lord. Should I forgive my, someone offends me seven times? And when you think of it, humanly speaking, he probably thought that was quite good. And it, yeah, you could, at one level, humanly speaking, you could. If you think of someone literally doing something offensive or hurtful or bad to you, and seven times you forgive them. And not that you think of it, but seven times they do it. I presume that's the logic. And seven times you forgive them. You think, actually, that's quite patient. That's quite good. They did that seven times, and each time I forgave them. And Jesus just comes in and puts a, <laughs> a coach and horses through it. He comes in from a totally different angle, as we'll see. And he says, actually, in effect, by the time he's got to the end of the parable, the message for us is... Actually, if you really understand what God's done for you, if you're truly one of my disciples, you will live with a forgiving attitude. You will eat and breathe it. It will be how you respond because you will constantly live with a, foot, a knowledge of how much you've been forgiven. And that will be, and, and I'm, I'm anticipating where I want to go because we've got to dig into that to understand it. But let me say right now that one of the Fruits, and I'd argue to some extent evidences that you're a real Christian, is that you are able to show a forgiving spirit. Now, it doesn't mean it's easy. We're going to touch that as well. doesn't mean you do it automatically. No way. It's too hard for that. But it does mean that you do it. And it's where you go 
in the end, that's how you live because that's where you know you should live and that's where real freedom and joy is ultimately found. So, I mean, this isn't just this parable. If you think of the Lord's Prayer and other things, there is a definite sense in here that as you forgive, you are demonstrating something of what it is to follow Jesus and what he's done for you. Those who have been forgiven will forgive others. Now, there's some practical benefits too, and these are pretty important. Um, I'm sure I could unpack them a lot, but one of them is, um, is in this scripture, 2 Corinthians 2. So I, I did ask to put it up. It's Paul writing, and he says, Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. What I've forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I've forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Basically, Paul is saying to other Christians, because this is written to Christians, unforgiveness opens a door for Satan's activity in your life. And so it's in your interests to forgive, because as Christians, we are saved, we belong to God, we're, we're um, uh, secure in that eternal relationship. I do believe once saved, always saved. But to be honest, there's several verses, and this is only one of them, that indicates that Christians can give the devil a foothold in their lives. It's another one in Ephesians about if you're angry and bitter and, and, don't, and let the sun go down on it, basically don't resolve it, you give place to the devil. So there's actually a sense in which unforgiveness does you damage like that. And, and probably you could add to it uh, a very important, perhaps more important, that unforgiveness, because God is a forgiving God and because he knows what he's done for you, unforgiveness clouds your relationship with God. It, 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 it makes it hard to hear God. It, you become dry and dumb, deaf, really, to him. It, it's like massive interference in your relationship. You're not receiving it properly. So there is really an important truth here for our own good, and yet the reality is we all struggle to forgive. The reality is it's a tough thing to do. The natural self, we want justice. We want uh, to be vindicated. We may have pride. We may have uh, all sorts of things that are relatively natural, that really bubble up in us and uh, make it a tough one. So we do need to hear what Jesus is teaching and understand it. And there is a simple answer, not simple to implicate, uh, to put into practice, but simple in principle, and it's, and it's profound as well. And it's in this parable, but... Before we get to it, I just want to give you a verse which I think sums it up quite well. This verse is Colossians 3, verse 13. Paul says to Christians, Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Just a simple fact. Bear with one another, each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Then this little sentence, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And that last sentence is sort of the key to the issue, and it's the key to the parable. And I think that's what Jesus really wants us all to get. Because in the parable that we've read, it's all very fine what's going on between servant to servant, but the issue is that the king has accounts that he's settling. 
So the real accounts that matter are the ones with the king. And the servant, who's called the unmerciful servant in the story, the one who, who, who ends up being unkind to his friend, but the servant who is forgiven this massive debt, it's the king he owes that massive debt to. The king is settling accounts. Now, what's that about? Without any trouble, I'm sure you've worked it out, that is a vivid picture by Jesus Christ, the Son of God, about God, but what you owe God. It's his accounts that need to be settled. His accounts are the ones that are really important. And it's only as you get clear on that that you will have the strength and wisdom to deal with the people-to-people relationships. That, I mean, can be done to a measure in our own strength. Of course it can. We can forgive people to a degree. But the real business gets done when you've understood, which is what the parable is about, what you've been forgiven. And so this parable is in um, terms of a debt, which is a very, very appropriate, I'd argue, uh, picture. Of course, I'm flattering Jesus, aren't I? Of course it's appropriate. But you know what I mean? It's quite relevant if we dig into it. So this servant owes the king, who, as it were, is his king, has absolute authority. Think who a king is to a servant in those days. Uh, And this is God to us. This servant owes this king 10,000 bags of gold. Now, we can work out that's a lot. But when you read commentaries, they, uh, they often try and turn it into your own currency. And, uh, of course, there's always these differences. And I, I was amused by If you look at an old commentary, it'll be a lot smaller figure than today because inflation, I suppose. But some, and, and one I read said this. 10,000 bags of gold is the equivalent to 5 billion pounds today. 5 billion, not million, billion. It's like you owe billions of pounds to this king. It's massive. It's massive. He, he is never going to pay that off. I mean, he says, be patient and I will pay you. But how is he going to do it? How's he going to do it? How's he ever going to do it? He's asking for patience but he needs pardon. And right there, hold that point. Hold that thought. Because really, that's our problem with God. We owe God a huge sin debt. We'll explain that in a moment, I will. But let's keep with the picture. We owe this huge sin debt. And we say, give me a chance. Be patient. I'll try and improve myself. I'll do better. I'll go to church. I'll have decent quiet times. I'll, I'll take on charity work. And it's as ridiculous as this man. How, you don't need patience. You need pardon. You will never do it. God is a holy God and our creator. He made us. He sustains us. We are all accountable to him. And the Bible says we have a massive, every one of us, Every one of us has a massive sin problem. We have done things we shouldn't have done, and most of us know that, and so many and so far, so far along the road that it's difficult to see how you can undo them with a few good deeds. Now, even the decent ones of us here, that's sort of true of, but some of us are, are, are even more aware of it ourselves, and that's great. You've got a head start on the rest. You do know it. But that isn't really the whole story. Sin is 
not only acts, it's attitude. So this is the God's perspective, not yours and mine. It's not just acts, it's attitude. So we get acts, doing bad things, being nasty to people, and we sort of have our own little scale, you know, that's a white lie, well, that's really bad, that's a, you know, you know, I never, I only steal from shops, I don't steal from people, you know, we have our own little thing, and we've all got it in our areas. So we sort of see the acts thing, but that is the tip of the iceberg. God says it's the attitudes, it's the heart. Attitudes like ignoring God, saying I don't care about God, saying I'm God with a small g, I decide what I do. Attitudes like greed, selfishness, envy, hatred. <laughs> you know, the list goes on and on. These are the roots that produce fruit. And in our cultures, through the ages, we will, we will sometimes make certain acts more horrendous than other ones to us. And there's various ones today. It wouldn't take you a genius to work out what the real big no-nos today. But some of the no-nos today, people ignored 50 years ago. I thought that was nothing, no problem at all. Bit of racial banter, that's fine. But then some of the things they thought were horrendous, some of the sexual sins 50, 100 years ago, we today think it's fine, that's quite cool. It's quite it's fine. So cultures vary on the acts, but actually the heart attitude doesn't vary. And God said, that's where the problem is. It's in there. may come out that way, that way, that way, that way. But it's the attitude. And God knows we have a big sin problem. And it is a big one. And it's like five billion pounds. How are you going to get to a holy God? You can't put right what you have done wrong, nor can I, let alone get it right from now on. Now, here's another truth in this parable. The king cancels the debt, forgives him. It's wonderful. But when a debt is cancelled, actually someone else pays the price. Think of the logic of it. If he owes five billion pounds, it's presumably a genuine debt, obviously, then the person he owes it to, when he cancels it, takes the hit for the 5,000 pounds. Let's put it in more realistic terms. Andrew lends me a thousand pounds. I said, thank you very much, Andrew. I'll pay you back. And we agree that it's only a loan. That's agreed. It's up front, it's a loan. I buy myself a brand new television. Whoa, look at that big screen, lovely color. Ooh, wacky, wacky sound. <laughs> Love that. But I haven't got the money and I don't pay him back. And we said it would be in six months. It doesn't matter. It doesn't come. Said it would be in a year. It doesn't come. So Andrew and I, in the end, have a heart to heart. And Andrew says, when's this thousand pounds coming, John? And I say, well, I haven't got a bean. Look, I haven't got anything. Just a handkerchief, any use. So, and Andrew says, all right, I will cancel your debt. I will let you off. Well, what's happened? Andrew's bought the television, hasn't he? Someone had to buy the television. That thousand pounds, Andrew's taken it as his debt, and he's bought the television. Didn't come out of thin air. He's done it. Now, listen, the much more profound truth in here. When you're forgiven your sin, when I'm forgiven my sin, someone else paid the debt. That's the gospel. That's what the blood of Jesus and the cross is about, the stuff we're remembering. He bore my sins, my iniquities, in his body on the cross. With his stripes, I'm healed. The holiness of God was satisfied. The wrath of God was satisfied. The debt was paid by someone else. You are free because the debt is 
paid in full, written across it. Paid in full. But it isn't just, oh, God's got soft after over these millions of years, and he says, oh, I don't really care what you do these days. Oh, yeah, it's fine, I'll forgive you. That's not it. There's a, God has not changed. He's the holy God he was at the beginning, and we are in a mess before him. We all are. And if he doesn't forgive us, there is no other way through. A few good deeds are not going to do it, brothers and sisters. And a few um, new resolutions, whatever you like to call it, that's not going to be, you're giving a couple of, you know, hundred pounds for a million, billion pound debt. It's just not going to do it. He's done it. Isn't it wonderful? You can be free through the cross. You can have all your sins forgiven, blotted out, removed as far as the east is from the west. I will remember them no more. Blotted out of my book. These are biblical pictures, Bible pictures. You are debt free before the living God. Isn't that wonderful? And it is wonderful. It is wonderful. And as I've said already, it, you needed it. Pardon is the only hope. Patience was no. Wait a bit longer and I'll put it right. That's not going to happen. Let me try again. No, you need it now, today. And if you're not a Christian this morning, please come and know Jesus this morning. Don't say, well, let me try again. Let me get it just right. Don't try and get anything right. Just accept it. Put your faith in Jesus. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He paid the debt so you don't perish and have everlasting life. He bore your sins in his body on the tree. And actually, when you take the bread and wine, I don't know if you did it here, we did it, yes, you did. If we take the bread and wine, that is fundamentally what we're remembering. Absolutely central. Isn't that wonderful? That's great. And that is what leads to the sort of application or the punch in the rest of the parable. And it is a very important one. So this servant comes out from that experience and meets a fellow servant. In other words, someone just his level, just one-to-one, not the king or anything, just the fellow servant. Now, this fellow servant, and here's interesting, he owes him 100 silver coins, which on this scale, which I'm sure we, you know, but it's valid to get the idea of the proportions, is probably worth, in my money, about 10,000 pounds. Interesting, isn't it? Just let that sink in. Because 10,000 pounds is not insignificant. Well, it isn't to me. I don't know about you. Perhaps there's some very wealthy people here. Oh, it's nothing. But I spend it an evening. <laughs> no, no, actually, that's not how it is for most of us here, right? So, 10, 000, so that's important because what people do to us or what we need to forgive others is not insignificant. It's not like a fiver. It's not like, well, it doesn't matter. Can lose, you know, dropped out in the pocket. No, no, no. It's ten. It's something that counts, and it feels like that's that's reasonable. That's a lot of money. That's a reasonable amount. And so Jesus, in this sort of cartoonish way, is making a point. Though it's an important point. It's not like a few pence. You have owed you something substantial at the level you're living at, at a servant to servant level. And that is true. That is true. People do stuff to us that is bad. They shouldn't do. And it happens. 
And it's, some of it is more serious than others. Some of it's like 5,000. Some of it might be like 50,000. But it's a reasonable amount that they owe us. But the point fundamentally is it's absolutely nothing compared to the five billion pounds. And you, servant, come out of a room where five billion has been wiped off and then you're going to beat this person up because they owe you 10,000. And you have focused completely on what they owe you and not what you owed the king. Your focus is in the wrong place. It's you, if you get the focus right, then you'll behave better. And of course, in the parable, to make the point, the, the, the servant that owes 10,000 virtually says the same. I hope you notice that. Be patient with me and I will pay it. And you think, wouldn't that have jogged his memory? Might that not have pricked his conscience? Oh, that's what I said to the king. And the king said, I cancel your debt. But this time he goes, no, you, yeah, I'm going to get every last penny out. You've got to be in prison until you pay it. Well, he's never going to pay it from prison, is he? So he's, he's just locking him up. He's just saying, I'm not, you're never going to forgive you. Never going to forgive you. Well, well, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. What's just happened to you? And that is the power and the valid power of what Jesus is saying. And he's saying, we have got to learn to come through on that. And in fact, in this parable, that servant is then uh, taken before the king, and the king is angry. He calls him wicked. And I think it's not stretching it to say that God says, well, unforgiveness is sinful. It's, it's not okay. It's a sin. Now, we do other sins as well. I'm not belittling it, but... But it isn't right. It's not saying, oh, that's okay. No, it's not okay. Just because, well, he does owe me 10. That, yes, I know he does, but it's not okay. And it, 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 it's, it's a wicked servant. And it's particularly wicked because of what you've been forgiven. You must focus on what's happened to you if you're going to have any hope of getting right with other people or putting things right with them. God expects those who receive forgiveness to show forgiveness. And the last part of the parable has a very real sting in the tail. I don't believe it's telling us we can lose our salvation. As I say, it's, this isn't a major doctrinal covering all the bases. But I do believe it is making a powerful point that unforgiveness will result in what I said earlier, God's anger, even with his own children, a shutting off of good things and an opening up of bad things. Because this guy gets tortured in the prison. So there's a sense in which you're opening yourself up to damaging, torturing experiences through unforgiveness and a preparedness not to forgive. So what's the answer as we come towards the end? But I'm on the second one, so I've got a bit of flexibility. No, no, no. <laughs> you end about half past, I presume. Yeah. Sorry, a bit childish there. Um, so, so quite seriously, as we land in the last five minutes here, what do we need to get? Well, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, if you haven't understood that God has opened for you a glorious freedom of unforgiveness, of forgiveness, I beg your pardon, forgiveness and cleansing, please come today. Talk to someone at the end. Pray with someone. Say, I want to know that. Because I can assure you, if you come to the King of Kings and say, Lord, please Release me, forgive me from my sin debt, my damaging sin debt. He will do it. Jesus has already paid it. The blood of Jesus can cleanse you from all unrighteousness and does.
cleanse you from all unrighteousness. All, all, all. And it can happen this morning. For those of us who are already in a position of enjoying that, which is probably still, I would expect, the majority in the room, there is a big lesson for us, a big one, not to be ignored. God says, keep your focus on what I'm doing, I've done for you. And from that position, you will begin to be able to seriously forgive your brother and sister from the heart, real forgiveness. We can do superficial forgiveness, all of us. Um, you know, even you don't have to be a Christian to do that, and Christians can do it. We can, you know, and we can do little things probably, but some of the big stuff that really burdens us and tangles us up, we need the Holy Spirit's help. And we need the starter of getting our own heart right with God first, which is what happens. From that position, we can really begin to move in an area that is really tricky. I know it's tricky. But we can forgive from the heart. And in order to help us understand that, the last part, I've just got a few headlines, really is just headlines. But these I found really helpful. Um, the Freedom course that we did, uh, and Mary and I did here and, and uh, at Winchester, I found it helped me in dealing with forgiveness because you need to do some work in your head and sometimes you don't have to have somebody else there, but it helps. But you need to think, what is it I'm doing here? I really, this is not superficial. It's like, well, I know I forgive them. I've done it. No, no, you sometimes need to dig in and say, I'm forgiving from the heart. So these are just headlines. Forgiveness is not the same as forgetting. Now, let's take these words literally as their meaning, because we get all funny. So when you forgive someone, it doesn't mean you don't, perhaps more often than you'd like, remember what they did. It will get better. It will fade. But I've had that experience. And what you have to do is when the memory comes back, and it can catch you out, just talking to someone else or going somewhere which jogs something, you remind yourself, I've forgiven them. You make a choice to say, no, that's okay, I've, I've forgiven them. Yep, I know, I remember. No, they're forgiven. Debt's paid. No, don't owe me anything. And so you sort of have to live with the reality of that. And some people get in a mess on that because they think, well, I, I can't forget it. Well, no, we're not talking about revenge memory. We're talking about literal memory. And sometimes things will come back and then you apply it. So you just need to work through on that because, and this is the second point, which is very important, forgiveness is a choice. It's not a feeling. You, you don't wait till you feel like forgiving, which is another of my points, but it'll come up in a minute. You don't wait till you feel like it because you probably won't. You choose because of who I am and what Jesus has done for me and because I want to walk free of this, I choose to forgive. I choose to do it. And then for Sometime I will be better, but maybe something comes back. No, I've chosen to forgive. And they go together. It's a, a chunky thing. It's a choice. And you do it for your benefit. Forgiveness is for the benefit of the one who forgives. Honestly, it is. And frankly, that's clearly what comes out in the parable. But, but actually, it's logical if you think about it. Quite often, the people we have something against, particularly something serious, probably aren't aware to the degree of which it's damaged us, may even be quite happy with themselves, 
and maybe dead. So, you know, to be honest, they're not particularly being damaged by your bitter, unforgiving spirit. You are. It's not, it's not hurting them much, it, but it, it may not hurt them at all, frankly, but it, it, it's hurting you. So you're doing it so that you're not imprisoned, so that you're not being tortured. In a way, you're unhooking yourself as much as them. They're never going to be off God's hook. Alive or dead, they are accountable to God. And you leave it to him. He will judge every one of us one day. And, you know, whether they're alive or dead, they are God's responsibility. That's an act of faith. You need to take it. But for you, you've got to clear it for your sake. That's why you need to think it through. Let's go on. Forgiveness is costly. It is costly. I've already said it with that little illustration of the television. You are, in a sense, taking it on. You're taking the cost on. You're not getting your pound of flesh. You're not saying, well, I won't forgive them until they apologize or until they explain why they did it or until they come groveling. Well, you'll probably never get forgiving then. You're not doing that. You're releasing something, but it's releasing you. But you're releasing something. You're not waiting bitterly until they deserve it. And it means, the next one, that you acknowledge the hurt. Real forgiveness That's why when you pray forgiveness prayers, they need to be thought, not just, dear Lord, I forgive them. They're hard. They're hard to pray sometimes. depends on the situation. But they should be, I think, more thought out. So my own thoughts, and actually I think it's in some of the things I was taught, which I found helpful, was that you, you actually forgive the person for what they did and for how you felt. I forgive that person for bullying me and how it made me feel suicidal and wretched, and whatever your own words are. So you really think through what I'm forgetting. But not think, you're praying it. You're praying it, and you're releasing them. You're releasing them. If you use the money analogy, I am releasing Andrew to me again, and that's slightly lighthearted one. I am releasing John from the £1,000 he owes me, even though he promised four times to repay it and didn't. And I feel very disappointed, a man of his stature, let me do <laughs> And, you know, but seriously, I'm half mocking myself. But, you know, you thoroughly do it. You think, you pray, pray what you've done. And, and you, you think about the hurt as you forgive. Don't wait till you feel I've said that because you won't. And, and probably another one I've sort of said is um, when we forgive, we're not responsible for the reaction of the other person. That's very important, very important. You're not responsible for whether they suddenly change or whether they suddenly uh, do anything. I mean, your forgiveness doesn't depend on them, as I've said already, apologizing, explaining, or anything like that. I mean, they could be dead. Um, and, and I tell you what, it really isn't a good idea normally to go up and tell the person, if they're still alive, that you've forgiven them. You think, well, why isn't that good? It's not a good idea for your sake. Because you can dig a hole for yourself and go right back to square one like snakes and ladders. I'll tell you how. Just imagine it. You go up and say, this cost you a lot, remember, it's tough. And you say, I forgive you for this and this you did. And they go, what? Don't remember doing that. (laughs) Don't think you needed to forgive me. I mean, you're right back. You've got something else to forgive them for now. And do you know what I mean? It's not really about you and them. It's about you and God and your own walk with them. Now, sometimes people might respond well, but they normally don't. 
you're often disappointed. So, and it's not the point. You're not trying to get a little dig back at them. That's not the point. You're not doing it properly otherwise. So it's between you and God, it's, and it's you clearing yourself. But, and I mean this bit, it's an important but, if what you're forgiving has such a serious level that, for example, the person might, might go to prison for it or, or be, need to be caught, you should follow that through. You, you should, forgiving doesn't mean you, let, you become a doormat, you let them away. Or, let me put it this way, you should put boundaries in. If someone's abused you, exploited you, boundaries, you don't see them again. Or you don't let them get near you. Or, or you, you do protect other people by reporting it. If it's that sort of serious level. So don't be naive about it, but be clear cut in your own heart and your own spirit that you do not carry round bitterness and unforgiveness for that situation. You are their debt. They don't owe you anything. You don't expect anything. You're clear with God. That's where you want to end up. And that is a position of strength and liberty. And you need the Holy Spirit to help you do it. Now, it is possible to do it for many things relatively easy. But there's often things that are not so easy. And so... What we do as we finish, I'm going to hand you back now, hand back to you, <laughs> um, is probably, I mean, I'm not going to dictate, but I think it's quite good sometimes just to reflect for a minute before we actually do something. Because when I speak on a subject like this, even me preparing it, I can think of the things that I've forgiven people for, but they've come back because I'm preparing a talk for you. <laughs> so you have to just work it through sometimes in yourself. Or, if it's the first time or you want to come to know Jesus, you might need a little more help in prayer with somebody else.